Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Beginning, as you can see from that video, a new series today called Hope Delivered. And as we talk about that hope, we're talking about Jesus Christ being delivered to us as a child, as a little baby. How amazing that God would, I mean, it's a story that becomes so familiar, but that God would put on flesh and come in the form of a child. As I've been thinking about this uh, this Christmas and jumping into our series, uh, the fact of him being a baby has really struck me this year. Different things at different seasons will, will, will kind of grab our attention when we come to these familiar stories. You know, the Matthew 2 and the Luke 2 stories of the birth of Jesus and the wise men pursuing him. And as I've been thinking about it, it's caused me to reflect on when we first had kids. And I remember my, my first daughter, she's 15 years old now. And so I think back to when we had our first daughter. First of all, that I found out we were having a girl. Like, I didn't have sisters or anything. And so I remember when we found out we were having a baby girl, I was like, a girl? Like, what do I do? Like, I already don't know what to do with a baby, but you're going to give me a girl? And then God did it again. And again, and again, like we have four girls. It's like eventually he's going to learn something. I don't know what I'm supposed to pick up, but I will say, you think I'm clueless now? Like I was so clueless when we had our first baby. I remember when we brought her home from the hospital and I did all the normal, like I think this is normal parent stuff where you just feel this responsibility. And so I remember when we put her in her bassinet, going over, just put my hand on her. Yeah, she's still breathing. Like I was going to do, I don't even know how to change her diaper. Like I was going to do anything, but she's not breathing. And I remember my mother-in-law had come, we were in Arkansas. My mother-in-law came, and she was there with us and helping us out. And when the first diaper had to be changed, she handed me the baby and said, here, change her. I said, what do I do? She said, change her. And I was kind of like, uh, I'm an idiot if I don't, so I'm just going to figure this out. I remember the first time my wife uh, left me home with the baby with the responsibility of feeding her because she was kind of on the, the feeding schedule, and I think it was like every two hours, and she did the 9 o'clock. I also did the 11 or 11.30, whatever time it was, and she was going to come home from lunch with her friends. She gets home, I had one job, one job, I forgot. I, got, I don't know what happened, like busy with the toys on the floor, like I'm not sure what happened, but I remember when my wife came back in and the bottle from nine o'clock was still sitting on the counter and she said, how did the 11 o'clock feeding go? Silence. <laughs> Except for Ella, at that moment she started crying. Now, it was two hours past the feeding time. She didn't cry to me at all, which was the crazy thing. But as soon as mom came in the door, Wah! like she just starts crying, right? In that moment, I think she thought to herself, this guy can barely change my diaper. I got no shot at food with him. <laughs> and mom comes in, Wah! but isn't that the crazy, that, the babies are hard, but here's the hardest thing about babies. No matter what they want, they say the same thing. To be held, Ma! food, Ma! story, Ma! I want a new horse. Ah! We don't know. They're just saying the same thing. So who knows what they're saying? But that got me thinking about our series too. Because I could go around and ask each one of you, what is your hope? And I bet you most of you here that are followers of Jesus at least would say Jesus is our hope. Or because I asked you when we were in a church building. Or because you were watching online, you'd, you'd put in the comments, Jesus. But let me ask you this. What if you had no words? What if I ask you, what is your hope? And your hope had to be revealed through your life. What would your life say that your hope is? Hey, we're going to look at a passage of scripture that I want to challenge you today to lay your life down next to it and compare your life to the passage and say, what does my, my life cry out? And so today's message, as we get started and just kick this series off, is called Hope Revealed. What, what does your life reveal about your hope? If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17. The Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New Testament, third book in the New Testament, Luke chapter 17, we're going to start reading in verse 11. 
But since we're jumping into a book that we haven't been studying all the way through, well, let me tell you what's happening in the Gospel of Luke. I read at the very beginning of the service the birth of Jesus, Luke chapter 2, but then he has this ministry until chapter 9 and verse 51. In chapter 9, verse 51, there's a transition in the Gospel of Luke. The pace slows down. Everything's going fast, and then boom. He sets his face towards Jerusalem. He's now focused on the cross. But what he's doing between Luke chapter 9, verse 51, and him going to the cross is making sure that we all know what it is to be a true, genuine follower of his. In Luke chapter 17 and verse 10, there's a break before verse 11 that Luke doesn't tell us about. It happens in John chapter 11, where Jesus raises a guy named Lazarus from the dead. But at the end of that story, what happens is the religious leaders from that moment forward were focused on killing Jesus. Otherwise, everyone would believe in him. And we certainly wouldn't want that, would we? And so their desire is to kill him. People are opposing him. They're coming against him. But his focus remains the same, making sure that you and I and his disciples in the passages know what it is to be a genuine follower. And the passage we're looking at, he's saying, how are we supposed to respond to his grace that's given to us? What should our response be? And what our response does is it reveals our heart. And our heart reveals our hope. Let's look at it. I'll read through the passage, and then we'll go back and unpack the passage. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. It says, on the way, and so he's traveling, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And so he's probably about 20 miles north of Jerusalem at this point. And as he entered a village, and so he's not quite into the village yet, but as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted their voices up, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When Jesus saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. That's the shocking part of the story. Then Jesus answered, were not ten, ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, Jesus declaring himself to be God here? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Here we've got this passage of scripture appropriate right after Thanksgiving, right? About gratitude. And you've got these ten guys and nine are not grateful. One is grateful. And the easy way to teach this passage is to go, don't be like the nine, be like the one. Here's the problem with that. And we've all done this. Maybe you haven't taught this passage before, but we've all done this before. If you have kids, I guarantee you've probably done this. It may have happened at Thanksgiving on Thursday. You've got a feast of food spread out, right? So imagine this, especially if you have teenagers. The feast of food spread out. They want everything that's fried, everything that's brown, like everything that's all the same color. But you try to get them to put something colored on their plate, some green vegetables, green bean casserole. Two things that most kids don't like, mushroom soup and green beans. Put them together, they still don't like it. And so you want to get them put on their plate, right? And what do they do if you've got a teenager? I don't know why their bodies move like that. I don't want this. Gross. I don't want that. But then every parent, some of you are grandparents now, some of you haven't quite had kids yet, but let me, just trust me on this. Every parent ever has said the same thing. There are kids somewhere starving, implied they'd be grateful for this food, and then you say, so be grateful. Here's the problem with that argument. It's never worked once. Does anyone have a kid? I could raise your hand. I want to meet your kid. You can bring them up here on stage. Talk about how awesome they are. Has anyone ever had a kid to go, oh, mom, I didn't know. Now that I know, I'm yummy, yummy, yummy in my tummy. 
Like, no. You know why? The problem is not an education problem. The problem's a heart problem. If they're like my kids, you know what they say? We should package it up and send it to those kids. <laughs> They'll be grateful. I'm not grateful. They'll be grateful. And see, the problem with most of us with this passage is not, it's not an education problem. It's not like you should be grateful. Be like the one. Don't be like the nine. No, what God's doing in this passage is revealing hearts. And so I want us to lay our hearts down next to the past to see what does he reveal about our hearts and what we see is our hope because our hope comes to the surface. And we see three different ways that happens in this passage. The first one is this, is that God uses your problems to reveal your hope. God uses your problems to reveal your hope. And we've had a lot of problems this year. Whether it's financial problems, businesses have closed, people have lost jobs. The reason why the unemployment's continually being talked about Relationships have been lost. It's not just that there's racial tension. It's not just the political things that are happening. It's not just all this, the pandemic and the debates about masks and no mask and all that stuff. People have lost friendships over that. There's been betrayals. There's been things said. You just get mad at people on social media that you were kind of friends with. Now you've canceled them, but you're against cancel culture, but you're canceling them. And there's like all this stuff happening, right? There's lots of problems. You know what comes to the surface? Our hope and what we're hoping in. And for some people, it becomes evident that that's Jesus. I did a funeral this week on Tuesday in this room for a godly woman in our church, Sylvia Dumas. And if you knew Sylvia, you knew that she had a lot of physical problems. Even when she, when some of you might not know, but when she was one year old, she had an abscess on her neck, had to be removed, save her life, and then her legs didn't work very well when she was a kid. Her sister had to push her on her bike. She had uh, atypical tuberculosis, a shrunken esophagus, a battle with cancer, all these different physical problems in her life. But when I asked her family... What are some words that describe Sylvia? And just give me one word. The word that stuck out was hope. The analogy I used in the funeral was Sylvia's life was like when you go to a jewelry store and they lay a, a black velvet cloth out before they bring out the nice gems because it makes the gems look brighter. And the pain and the difficulty in her life helped Jesus shine even brighter through her life. And that's what problems oftentimes do in the life of a follower of Jesus because Jesus then comes to the surface. Here you see in this passage of Scripture, these men had problems. There are ten of them, if you look at it. Do you notice where they're at? They're outside the village. Jesus isn't in the village yet. It's as he entered the village. He's outside. Do you know who hangs out outside the village? Outsiders. Do you know why they're outside? They're not allowed in. They're not allowed in because they're lepers. Now, if you have a Bible that has little notes in it, it may have a little number next to lepers, and then at the bottom it'll say it's not necessarily leprosy, or it could be lots of skin diseases, and refers you to Leviticus chapter 13, which describes a whole bunch of skin diseases. The reality is the leprosy that we know of in the Old Testament didn't exist, but by the New Testament time it did exist, and so whether these guys were lepers like we think of lepers or not, we don't know for sure. But they very well could have been. And what we see that they do here is they keep themselves at a distance. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because everybody that wants to be healed by Jesus comes rushing to Jesus. A woman grabs his garment. People come up to him. There's all kinds of people grabbing at him in the crowds. But these guys are keeping a distance. Before social distancing was cool, okay, they're, they're keeping a distance. Because they're lepers. Lepers were required to keep a six-foot distance from anybody else that was healthy. If the wind was blowing in a specific direction, they had to keep up to 150 feet of distance. If they had leprosy like we think of leprosy, we know that these people were probably extremely deformed. 
Leprosy has a myth about it that many people, even in church, think is true. You've read through scriptures before, and because of the deformity, we think that it eats away at the skin. It does not eat away at the skin. In fact, what happens with lepers is they lose uh, nerve feeling. They, they can't feel pain in their extremities. And so a lot of times they'll lose fingers. They'll lose their noses. Some people have called leprosy the lion's disease because people oftentimes resemble lions. Their nose caves in and their face gets wrinkles on it and it gets deformed. But all that happens because they lose pain. Pain is a good thing. It tells us when there's something that's wrong. When they lose pain, so you get an infection in your finger and you don't know it's infected and eventually you lose your finger or because of an injury you can chop things off and not even know that it got chopped off. And, and so you've got men here that if they do have this leprosy, if you try to imagine them, they're deformed in their face. It may have gone systemic. Some of them might be blind. Many of them can barely talk. And do you notice, you want to see how pathetic their situation is? Did you see what they were saying to Jesus? Jesus, Master, not heal us. Have mercy on us. Just mercy. And that's interesting if you're reading Luke through Luke, because in Luke chapter 16, we're in Luke chapter 17, in Luke chapter 16, there's a story of a rich man and another guy named Lazarus. Lazarus is poor, but when they die, Lazarus goes to heaven, the rich man goes to hell. The rich man's in hell. Eternal torment, Jesus tells us. Gnashing of teeth. The flame is never quenched. And he cries out to Abraham, could you just dip your finger in some water and put it on my tongue? Now think about that. If, you're gonna, if you get one request and you're in hell, how about this, let me out? How about give me a second chance? How about is there another way? No. Just a moment of relief. You know what he's asking for? Mercy. Here are these guys. Wouldn't you ask for healing? But they say they're in such a hopeless state. They say, could you just mercy on us? A moment of relief? Because if they do have leprosy, it's an incurable disease. They have no hope. Physically, it's awful. But the worst part isn't physical. The worst part is the social. The reason they're outside the city is because you weren't allowed into a walled city. There was great fear of leprosy in this time. There's a story, an old story, about a rabbi who bought an egg in the marketplace, and then rumor was that there was a, a leper in the marketplace, so he wouldn't eat the egg because he was afraid of catching leprosy. That's how afraid people were of lepers. And so they're outside the city. That means you're never going to see your family again. You're never going to hold your kids again. And here's the worst part. The Bible prescribed that if you had leprosy or one of these skin diseases that you had to cry out, unclean, unclean. Think about the, the psychological impact that has. It's for the sake of others, and, and God had a reason for, for why that was put in the Bible. But can you imagine, like the best way I can think about to imagine this is if, imagine the most shameful thing that's ever happened in your life that you've done, that's been done to you, and whenever you met a new person, you had to say that. Liar, I lost a job because I'm a liar, liar, thief. Somebody comes near me, adulterer, adulterer, that's why my marriage fell apart. I was abused, I was abused. Like, can you imagine having to declare that to anybody that came around you? And then here, these lepers, unclean, unclean, everywhere they go, incurable disease. These people are hopeless, but they've got one hope, Jesus. Do you know why? Because if you read through Luke, Luke chapter 5, right after Jesus calls his first disciples, there's another leper. And he doesn't keep a distance. He runs right up to Jesus. He falls down at Jesus' feet. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus touches him. Now, if you touched a leper, you were considered unclean. But when Jesus touches you, you're not unclean. You become clean. 
And Jesus doesn't become unclean because Jesus is holy. Jesus is God. And so when Jesus touches the leper, the leper is healed. So these guys are outsiders. Do you know who outsiders hang out with? Other outsiders. Do you know who other outsiders talk to? Other outsiders. You don't think these men had heard? There's one hope. His name is Jesus. And he healed a guy back in Luke chapter 5, and he's coming to our town. You don't think these 10 guys had gotten together with everything they had? Maybe they're amputated. Maybe they can't see, but they've gotten to this spot where Jesus is coming, and now they're crying out. Maybe their voices don't even work. Just mercy. Have mercy on us. See, their problems have made their hope evident, and their only hope is Jesus. Here's the thing. Oftentimes, our only hope isn't Jesus until all our other hopes are removed. That's why the problems make our hope so evident. And oftentimes what God's doing in the problems in our life is he's removing a bunch of the false hopes that we have so that our true hope would become evident. And here are these guys. They don't have any other hope. Their one hope is Jesus. And the reason why? Because their problem's so big. But here's the reality. Our problem's bigger. Our problem's bigger than a bad year. Our problem's bigger than a disease. Our problem's bigger than being unclean. Our problem is sin, and it separates us from God. In fact, if you're not a follower of Jesus, the Bible says you are without hope, Ephesians. You're without hope and without God. And because of our sin, you go back to Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, God created distance between us and him. So his wrath didn't wipe us out. He kicked us out of the garden because his wrath was coming against us. We quote all the time, Romans chapter 5, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah, because we were his enemies. It means he was coming against us. That means if you're not a follower of God, God's wrath is coming against you. It's just a matter of time. There's no hope. If you're a follower of Jesus, at least at one point in your life, he was your one hope because there's no other way. So he's the only hope. See, our problem is bigger, but the good news is that Jesus came to rescue us. That's the story of hope delivered, is that Jesus left heaven, came to earth, was delivered as a baby so that we could have hope. Some of you have been sending me stories. I shared an illustration about three weeks ago uh, about alligators with some of my kids, and you keep sending me stuff. Right after that service, I had a text message about a thousand-pound alligator that was found, and I was like, that doesn't even look real. It was in Florida. And then there was another golf course one that came like the next week. That was in Florida. If you're watching online and you live in Florida, be careful. There's dinosaurs there. Like, all the stories were in Florida. Did you see the one this week? The guy's dog went into a pond. Did you guys see that? Some of you have seen it. Some of you didn't see it. Here's what happened. Those of you who didn't see it, I, I wouldn't have believed it had I not actually seen the video footage. Because this guy's dog, was, he was walking along a pond in his backyard. He said that a, an alligator, about a four-foot-long alligator, came running out of the water, grabbed his dog, went back into the pond. Without thinking about it, he went back in, grabbed the alligator, pulled the alligator out of the pond, opened his mouth, set the dog free, and here's what the crazy part was. He still had a cigar in his mouth when he came back out. Like, it was one of those stories that I thought, if I heard that guy tell that story, I'd be like, he's lying. Like, that's not true. Yeah, I grabbed my dog. I went in. I wrestled the alligator out. I grabbed it, freed it, and I still had my cigar. It's like, yeah, right. He was still your cigar. But he did, like in the video. But then you see what happened. He had this little, like, five-pound dog. You know, it's, there. it's in the jaws of this alligator. It's in the jaws of death. And it was rescued to life. Do you realize that's the story of what Jesus has done for us? It's not just a cute baby born in a manger. He came to die. He came to not only die, but to raise from the dead. And because he was risen from the dead, he can give you life. He rescued you from death. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And he's the one that can rescue you. He's the only way. Is he your only hope?
If you're following Jesus, at one point in your life, he was your only hope. Is he today? Don't answer with your words. Your life says so. And the problems oftentimes make that evident. But it's not just the problems. God uses the risk that we'll take to reveal our hope. God uses your risk to reveal your hope. Verse 14 is my favorite part of this whole passage. Look at verse 14 with me. This is when he saw, so Jesus saw, they're crying out, they're yelling, but he saw them and God sees you. Don't miss that. When he saw them, he said to them, go, show yourselves to the priests. And here's the crazy part. They went. And as they went, they were cleansed. So hold up, hold up. Does that strike you as odd at all? Because Jesus doesn't say to them, you're cleansed. You're healed. He says, go show yourselves to the priest. What would you do if you were the leper there? Right, like this is your one shot. This is your one hope. The temple's about 20 miles away from where they're at. So forget the fact they might be disabled. Forget the fact they might not be able to see well. You know, how difficult it would be. 20 miles is a long walk. There's no guarantee that when you come back, you'll be able to find Jesus again. This is your one moment. I think if I were one of the lepers, I'd have been like, I'll go to the priest, but I'm not leaving until you heal me. Because here's the reality. They hadn't been healed yet. Look at the passage. It was as they went, they were healed. After they stepped out by faith, then God worked. Not before. I think if I were there, I'd be like, I'm not letting go. Like I'm I'm grabbing hold of his robe and going, "You, you heal me, then I'll go. And that's how we oftentimes act with God, isn't it? Because here's the reality. Many of us don't want God to work in our lives. We want God to work in our lives our way. We don't want to come to God and just go, hey, work in my life. Will you do what you want in my life? We come to God and say, do what, here's how you should do it. And let me lay out. We'll have a long prayer conversation because i got a big plan for my life, God, and I want you to know about it. We don't want God just to work. We want God to work our way. And these guys, they're risking everything by living by faith because that's what faith is. It's risk. From our perspective, we don't know. We don't know what's going to be the result. We don't know what's going to happen, but we got a promise, and that's why we have hope. You see, hope and faith are directly tied together. Hope actually fuels faith. Some of you are struggling in your faith. It might be because you're low on hope. You need encouragement. You need encouragement from God's word. You need encouragement from God's people. We need hope. Look, in fact, there's a definition in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11 of what faith is. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, it'll be on the screen. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. (laughs) So hope is part of the definition of faith. Without hope, how can you even have faith? And so here's what you need to know, and this is foundational for this whole series, and so we'll come back to this, that hope that the Bible talks about and hope that you and I talk about are not the same thing. The hope that we oftentimes talk about as Americans when we're talking about hope is that we think that hope is wishful thinking. I asked some kid here, what do you want for Christmas? I hope I get a PS5. I hope I get a new horse. I hope that, you know, maybe some of you, I hope I can hang out with my family. I hope that this can, are you going to come to our Christmas Eve services? I hope so. You don't know. There's a level of doubt. It's kind of a wish. Maybe it's optimism. Hope in the Bible is not some grand rainbow optimism that's out there. It's not some wishful thinking. So understand this. Hope in the Bible has a confidence to it. Because it's based on what God has said. Hope in the Bible, biblical hope is this. It's a confident expectation of something you know to be true, but it's in the future. So you haven't experienced it yet. See, hope is always future by its essence. 
You don't hope about the past. Hope is always future. But, but hope in the Bible has a confident expectation because it's based on God's word. You can, just, you can say, I hope that and something that God hasn't promised, and that's American hope. Or you can say hope in the Bible, it's hope based on what God has told me. And so you've got this definition in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, but let me tell you something, the way the Bible's written, God didn't just start plopping definitions down in random spots. There's a context to what's happening. The context for Hebrews chapter 11 is Hebrews chapter 10. Let me tell you what's happening in Hebrews chapter 10. There's some Christians that get arrested. Other Christians decide to identify with them, knowing that it could cost them their lives, but it does cost them all their possessions, and they're excited about it. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison and joyfully accepted joyfully accepted the plundering of your property not just it's, oh, i get it this is what happens and the tough stuff happens no joyfully accepted the plundering of your property and here's why since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one and then hebrews chapter 11 says this is what hope looks like this is what risk is this is what faith is your faith reveals your hope your hope re- f- fuels your faith and so what Hebrews chapter 11 does after that is it gives example after example after example of people who did what we would call risk, what the Bible calls faith, because of their hope. And do you know what their hope was? Their hope was in the, who God is, in his character, that he's faithful, that he's, no, I'm not gonna, there is no, when you have hope, biblical hope, there's no sacrifice in this world, because you know that God's going to repay you. You know that God rewards you. You know that God is gracious. You know that God is generous. You know that God is good. You know that God is for you. And so you don't lose hope because who you're hoping in. And then also there's promises. And so you read through the Bible and all these characters, they live their lives based on promises in the Bible. So like Abraham, we'll talk more about Abraham next week. Next week we're going to be in Romans chapter 4, talk about Abraham who hoped against hope. But in Hebrews chapter 11, do you know what it says? It says he was willing to sacrifice his son because he believed that God could raise him from the dead. But here's the thing. No one had been raised from the dead at that point. Do you know how many promises Abraham had? One. We've got hundreds. Abraham had one promise. And you know what happened with Abraham? Abraham, faced with impossible circumstances, believed in an immeasurable God. He had hope, so he lived by faith. Moses, Moses was willing to leave the palace, the prince of Egypt, if you haven't seen the cartoon, it's also in the Bible, he's willing to leave the whole palace and listen to why. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Wait, Christ didn't even exist yet. What are you talking about? Well, he existed. He hadn't walked the earth yet. But but if he hadn't walked the earth, how does he even know about? There was a promise, promise in Genesis about Christ. And so based on the promises, he had hope. If you'll just faith, it changed the way he lived here. Your risks reveal your faith. When your hope is in comfort in this place, when your hope is in convenience of this place, when your hope, that becomes evident in your lack of taking risks for God and the way you use your finances and the way you use your time and the way you talk about the truth. But here you see these guys were willing to risk it all based on the person of Jesus because Jesus said go. So they went without debate. They turn. Many of us, we're waiting for God to do something before we'll step out by faith. But God's given us all these things to do. Just to give, give practical examples. I want to have a great marriage. If you would just change my wife, we would have a great marriage. Well, God, Scott, I told you, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Yeah, and as soon as you do this, I'll do that. No, that's not how it works. God's going, you're waiting on me, but I'm waiting on you. These guys wouldn't have experienced the miracle had they not stepped out by faith. Some of you, I want a great job. 
If you just give me this kind of job, I'll tell everybody there about Jesus. But Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work as if you're working for the Lord and not for men. I just want to get this. I want to be people pleasing. Will we risk? Will we risk? Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Who's asking? Is your hope evident? Your risk reveals your hope. But not only that, and come to the last part of this passage, your reactions. God uses your reactions to reveal your hope. This whole passage hinges on reactions. And God uses our reactions to reveal our hope. And we're constantly reacting. And it always reveals something about us, right? Like some of us, if you wake up late, Monday morning, different people react differently. Some of you here are snooze button people. Boom, woke up late, 15 more minutes. Boom, boom, five minutes, whatever you got to set for. Some of you here, you jump out of bed like your hair's on fire, and the rest of your day you're in fast forward, right? Catch up. It's based on who you are. Your reactions are different. I remember as a kid, if somebody said my name, Scott Lear, hey Lear, hey, what's up? If my mom said my name and used my middle name, Scott Michael Lear. It's like my butt still hurts sometimes when I think about it. Like different reaction, right? Same name, different reaction. I like what Mark Batterson says about reactions in the Christian life. He's got a book called Wild Goose Chase, and in it he says this. He says, in my experience, it's much easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like one. Most of us are good actors. We play the part, but our reactions reveal who we really are. (laughs) And I could stop there, but what he says next is so good. And maybe that is why Jesus focused so much of his teaching on reconditioning reflexes, and he gives examples. Pray for those who persecute you. So they persecute you, you pray. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. And here in this passage, the whole passage hinges on reactions. The reactions of the men and the reactions of Jesus. What do we learn about Jesus? What do we learn about ourselves here? Look at this, the reactions they have. And so they go, they walk, and then they're cleansed. Can you imagine that, by the way? Like, what was it like for those 10 guys? Maybe disfigured, Maybe some of them couldn't talk, some of them couldn't see, and then they start, they don't have mirrors. It's not like they saw themselves being transformed, but you're with nine of your buddies, and all of a sudden you start seeing physical transformation on them. Can you imagine somebody who didn't have a nose, all of a sudden their nose starts growing back? Hey, Doug, you didn't have fingers. Now you got fingers. Like, what's happening? Like, as we're going, we're being healed, and then one of them goes back. Now, oftentimes we read these stories, and because they're just in a, we can read the story in like three seconds, right? And so we just read it quick, and we get this idea that Jesus is just sitting there waiting for them to come back. Like Jesus healed them, they're on their way, 20 mile walk, and Jesus is going, it's been 15 minutes ago, I actually set the healing into process, where are they? It doesn't say they're outside the village anymore. Jesus is probably inside the village, he's probably having a meal at somebody's house. We see Jesus do that all the time. And so we don't know that for sure, but. I imagine this guy, it says that when he came back, he praised him with a loud voice. It's where we get the word megaphone, by the way. And so I imagine this guy coming back. Maybe he was an amputee, he didn't have a foot. He comes running into the town, and he's yelling to everybody, where's Jesus? Where's I was the leper, I was outside the town, I'm looking for Jesus. Now, can you imagine how oh, this has spread the glory of Jesus around this, this village? Knocking on, is Jesus in here? Who's Jesus? You, I was a leper, I've been healed. Who heals lepers? Like now all of a sudden that person's interested, door to door, and eventually somebody says, he's in that house. And I imagine the guy going in, boisterous personality now, because he praises Jesus in a loud voice. Boom, kicks the door in. Where's Jesus? I'm praising Jesus. Can't you just imagine that? Like we get it, like he came back and Jesus was waiting. It's all flannel graph, two-dimensional stories. Like this is real life stuff. This guy was a lemper, had no hope. Jesus heals him. He comes back and says he falls at the feet of Jesus. Look at that. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, megaphone, 
and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. If you're a Jew and you're reading that, A Samaritan. It was a good story until you said that. Jews hated Samaritans. They were considered half-breeds. There was such racial tension between Jews and Samaritans. And Jesus is showing here the one, the one who had spiritual sensitivity, the one who wanted more than just physical healing, the one was the one that you would consider an outsider. Not just because he was a leper. He was a Samaritan. In fact, the next verse says, it says that, that, that Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed, where are the nine? So here we see that Jesus, his reaction, he has an expectation. If he doesn't work in our lives, he expects praise. In verse 18, he declares himself to be God. Was no one found to return and give praise to God? That's him. Except this foreigner, that word's only used there in the New Testament. But it's found in one other place, at the temple. At the temple, there was a spot and a sign that said, no foreigners past this point. You couldn't go into the temple proper if you were a foreigner, a Samaritan. But here is the Samaritan with Jesus Christ, God himself, while these other men go to fulfill their religious duties. Pause and think about that for a second. Everybody got what they wanted from Jesus in this passage. Everybody wants to be physically healed. But this study shows that nine out of ten people that come to Jesus don't really want Jesus. The one who came back showed that he wanted more than just physical healing. He wanted Jesus himself. And see, that's what it reveals about us. Our, our reactions reveal what we really want. It doesn't say anywhere in this passage that the other nine guys had their healing removed from them because they didn't come back. They got the healing. They got the blessing. And that's all they got. You know what verse 19 says here? Verse 19 in the Greek language actually is talking about salvation. It says, and he said to him, rise and go, just to the one, not to the nine, just to the one. Rise and go, your faith has made you well. That phrase, has made you well, has saved you. Ten guys were healed in this passage. One guy was saved from his sins. And see, the reality is, is that many of us would say Jesus, he's our one hope, because we know we don't have any other hope, but once we get what we want from Jesus, we're good. It's kind of like if you've ordered a package from Amazon and it's late. Maybe that's an hour for some of you. But maybe it's like a day later, day two, late, two days late or something. You, you want, you're excited about what's coming. Whatever it is coming, it's like your new hope. It's going to fix your anger issues or your acne or like all the marketers are marketing hope, by the way. We've got to hope. We're going to fix this thing. We're going to help this thing. We're going to make your life better. And now you're finally going to be happy. Like, so you're ready for this package to come. And you're watching, when you see the delivery guy, you're excited about the delivery guy. Once you get your package, you forgot about the delivery guy. That's how a lot of us treat Jesus. Your life reveals whether that's true or not, not your words. So is Jesus just a means to an end, or is Jesus your hope? If you didn't have any words, what would the answer to that be? If like a child, like a child doesn't have any word, what would, what would, what would you be crying out with your behavior? If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you can have hope today by placing your faith in Jesus and asking him to be your savior. If you are a follower of Jesus, my hope for you is that you would want to praise him. And so we're going to sing, we're going to sing a song here in just a moment, an opportunity for you just to reflect on your salvation, reflect on the hope that you've been given, reflect on no matter what the circumstances are, what the problems are, would you be willing to take a risk for him? You step out for him this season? 
that your life should reveal the hope that you have in him. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, would you pray with me? Would you pray this prayer? Father, thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you for him dying on the cross for my sins. I believe that he died. I believe that he rose again. Right now in this moment, I want to call him like those lepers in the past. I want to call him master. I want to call him Lord. You want to surrender your life to Jesus and ask him to be your savior. Then right now in your own words, and you can pray out loud, even if you're in this room, if you're watching online, if you're in your living room, wherever you're at. Just ask Jesus Christ to be your savior in your own words. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to rescue you from a life without hope, from sin, from separation, from hell. And if you just ask Jesus Christ to be your savior, would you please let us know that? You can talk to somebody if you're here physically before you leave and go to the next steps table as you're leaving. If you're watching online, if you just email us, info at sfchurch.com. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to him in praise. And so let's stand together.